Well, I brought uh, John's resume, and I'm going to tell you some things about him you didn't know. <laughs> I'm so glad the Turners are here. and I was just thrilled when the elders agreed several years ago for him to come and do an apprenticeship here because we're always looking for churches to partner with us. And I knew that if you got somebody like Don, you'd be blessed and turned out to be that. I really appreciate uh, the experiences he's had and the way you've encouraged them. Appreciate the time with the elders yesterday, as well as elders and deacons. Uh, I believe uh, there's some work ahead, but there's reason to think there's a lot of hope and some good things are going to happen. In fact, I really think some better things happen. It's just in order to grow in our spiritual life, whether it's corporately as a church or individually as as just our own personal lives, we go through trying times. It it causes us to think why we do what we do. So there's some good things that come from that that you can always be grateful for. Maybe not enjoy it, but you can be grateful for it as God continues to work in your life. When you want to go on a journey, you know what it takes. You you know take out your phone and you punch in the destination and it looks it up and it says from your current location and you punch go and you set it down and this lady starts talking. Turn right here and at 20 feet turn left here. You know, you know how that goes. Unfortunately, our spiritual journey doesn't exactly have a GPS. So we have to do it the other way, the way that I always did it before I had this. You see, in the Middle East, they don't have addresses. There's no address. You either find some little corner grocery store and you go up three houses from there and turn left down this alley and there. And, you know, it's, it's like a lot of places in Central America I've been to or China or whatever. You, you don't go by just, just drive up and you've got the address and you can find it. The way you find people is you follow someone. I've had people say, I'll have my son meet you at the corner of so-and-so and so-and-so and he'll, you just follow him. And he'll, he'll take you through this alley in here and pretty soon you get where you want to go. Our spiritual journey is dependent on our ability to follow. As disciples of Christ, we are followers in the kingdom of God. We're followers of Christ. But I think there are times that we forget what it's like to be a follower. Or, or what is at the foundation of our spiritual journey? And we almost come at it wanting God to do things for us rather than us following Him and seeking to do His will. So I want to address your thoughts to that this morning in hopes that I can uh, help you with that. And I don't... Here we go. I began the Bible class with this slide and I want to start the lesson this morning with this slide as well because a congregation, any congregation is really a mysterious thing. It's anything you do in church. Every church is different. People are different. Combinations as people come together, it's, it's very different. And there is a mystery to the church. I mean, it's a mystery that God could take something so important. I mean, Christ died for the church, right? He shed His blood for the church. And yet, He puts it in the hands of incompetent men all over the world. I mean, think about it. I mean, I've never felt qualified for anything I did. Even the ten years I was in hell, it's like, I'm not worthy of this. That something so important to God as the church is put in the hands of just incompetent people. But God sees it different. He 
He knows the intentions of our heart. He knows the desires of our heart. Because He's put it in. If you have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, you have been given desires that are different than just the fleshly, carnal, earthly desires. A desire to honor God and desire to do His will. And I think the challenge we all face is how do we follow God's leaders down these streets and in this path that we take in life into a deeper relationship with God and deeper into the mission of God. When I think of the ministry of Jesus as you go through Galilee, you can't help but think of these two words. Follow me. Don't you think it's kind of amazing that Peter and those guys just drop their fishing? And just start, I mean, there's got to be a backstory. We don't get the backstories. Like, all of a sudden, boom, they're following you. Now, it could be it was a dry season or something and they weren't getting many, many fish, so we might as well go with him. We're not getting anything today out of the lake. I don't know. But I do know this. When they started following him, they didn't have a clue where they were going. And time and time again, you could tell Peter didn't get it. I think John got it before Peter did. That may be why he was the only one that was willing to follow Jesus even to the foot of the cross. He was going to be there to the very end. You are a follower. If you've been baptized into Christ, you're a disciple of Christ. You're a follower of Christ. And how does that permeate everything you do and who you are? Well, I want to encourage you to really kind of capitalize on that today. Following is not popular in our culture. As evidence of this, uh, in 2005, a study was done on uh, 2004 on the books on Amazon that were on leading and the books that were on following. (laughs) It was a ratio of 120 to 1. You can find 95,000 books on leading and only less than 800 books on following. I mean, when did you read a book on following? Okay, here's... Here's what I hope you go take with you today. Because it affects everything you do in every walk of life. And not be a good leader unless you're a good follower. You cannot be a good leader unless you're a good follower. And I can point to business, military, wherever it is. And when people miss the stage of being a good follower and they're immediately put into leadership, they are awful leaders. They're absolutely terrible leaders. And it happens in the kingdom of God. That's why Paul just said, don't appoint new believers as elders. They've got to learn to follow. They've got to learn to be disciples of Christ before they can actually lead a church. Because when you're leading, you're still following all the time. As an elder, I was one of 20 elders. I wasn't the leader in the church. I followed my fellow elders. We're always leading and following. Always doing both of those. I do it at home. We even, I lead and follow. My wife, in the Middle East, they have this phrase, the man is the head, the woman is the neck that turns the head. So, there is some truth to that. But, you know, I lead and follow. There are times that my wife, she's very gifted in ways. She leads in those things, and I follow. And vice versa. And we have a great team. I lead where my gifts are. She leads where her gifts are. And that's the same thing with all of you. You've got some incredibly gifted people in this church. Spiritually, spiritual gifts are abound. 
And when people use their gifts, you follow them. And you're blessed by those gifts, whatever those gifts may be. But we have to be willing to do both. To follow so we can be a good leader and use it. Uh, this just sorry about this. Uh, I'm trying to work this out. Apologize. All right. I'm going to have a little more text than I normally do in a sermon. I, you know, I, I use this to illustrate, but today I'm, I'm going to be in my teacher mode, if that's okay with you, because I think we've got to go back and look at the text and, and really work through some scriptures to remind us of just what God wants as followers and what He doesn't want. And now the Old Testament is a great place to go to see what God doesn't want in followers. Uh, when you go to Numbers chapter 14, you remember the example, they'd come out of Egypt, but they were not happy. They were disgruntled the minute they crossed the Red Sea. Which I find that hard to really understand because slavery was so bad. When you read how bad it was for them. And to think once we get out there, they wanted to go back to it. You're just thinking, there's something wrong here. Something really wrong. But then they, all of us rebelled against Moses and Aaron after the spies went into the land. You remember they went into the land, spied it out, and came back with their fake news? I'm not going to say anything else. And so they said, well, let's go back. We don't, we're not going to do giants and all this kind of stuff. Only two, Joshua and Caleb, gave them the truth and they wouldn't listen. So what did they do? Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. God ain't gonna get, we're not going to go with God's selection. We're going to go with our own. We want to take the leader. And at this point, there is a, a bit of a conflict of terms. When we are choosing the leader to take us where we want to go, who's really leading? We're leading, and we're telling you where to go, so we're making the leader the follower. And boy, does that happen a lot. We think we know better than the leaders do, so we want the leaders are here to serve us, not the other way around. And that can happen even in our own day and time. Well, Moses and Aaron pleaded with God. God was very upset about it. He did not like the outcome of that. He was going to destroy them all. But finally, God decided, I am going to take out the folks who, who did this. He was not pleased. He said, they put me to the test ten times. God was keeping count. His patience was running thin. And this is the reason. This is the reason that generation never saw the promised land. Because they would not follow. If we don't learn to follow as churches, we may never get to the promised land. We cannot get there by our own. We don't have the map. We don't have a GPS. We need leaders to guide us. That's always been God's plan. Two chapters later, as if Korah didn't get it, Korah is the grandson, the great-grandson of Levi. That's a pretty well-known name among the twelve tribes. He and 250 men come to Moses now and say, Why are you doing this? You've gone too far. All the congregation are holy. Every one of them, the Lord is among them. So why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Now, when did they do that? I mean, you're reading Moses' story and he's not wanting to do any of this. He's anything but exalting himself. And they're accusing him of exalting himself when he's just doing what God's making him do, basically. God's response? Oh, he was upset. The earth opened its mouth, we're told in Numbers 16 and verse 32. 
and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. God wasn't happy with that. That's not the kind of followers God wants. Now, it's echoed in the New Testament in these kind of kind of statements. Watch out for those who cause division uh, and dissensions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you've been taught uh, to the church at Rome, to the church at Corinth, he says. Be sure that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. And to Titus, he says, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with him. Because these are not the kind of followers that are going to honor God. This is not the kind of followers that we need in the body of Christ. So what kind of followers does God want? Let me give you four or five examples. One, people who are willing to submit themselves to God. I noticed in your, your um, heart, for, heart for God, you know, that's, that's part of your mission. If you're going to develop a heart for God, it, and if it is a heart for God, you will, in fact, submit to God. I mean, look at two people fall in love and they have a heart for each other. What happens? They, they really kind of, whatever the other one wants to do, you know, I mean, it's just, there's this kind of sense of submission and kind of turning their life over to the other one. God opposes the proud, we're told in James 4, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. That's the kind of follower God wants. People who are humble and actually submit themselves to the will of God to do His will. The second one is more difficult for all of us. It's, it's hard. And that is to obey your leaders. In the last chapter of Hebrews, you have this strange contrast, actually, I think, to the people who would have read at the time. You remember Hebrews was written to people who were going to slide back into Judaism. And basically... The writer was contrasting Jesus to all these things in Judea. He's, he's better than a high priest. He's better than the, the lamb. He's be, you know, all, he saves his toughest point to the last chapter. And basically he says, you have no need for a temple in Jerusalem because you have Jesus. And that's where there's this quotable quote in the middle of, of the chapter that says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. Compared to what? If you read it, it's compared to the tabernacle or the temple. And then it's bookended by this, these two strange statements, verse 7 and verse 17. Verse 7 says, Remember your leaders and their outcome, their way of life. And verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So it was very clear early in the Christian movement that the Spirit inspired these writers to tell Christians, if you are followers of Jesus, you're also going to be followers of people God puts in your life to lead you spiritually. And you're going to be open to that. You're actually going to obey them. You're actually going to submit. And every time I've had to obey or submit... It simply means I've done something I didn't like to do or want to do. It wasn't something I was already going to do. That's just agreeing and walking along with someone. But there are times for a group to come together, everybody has to give in order for us to get in, a, in some kind of 
common goal and purpose and on the same page, if you will. And then, number four is probably the most un-American verse in the whole New Testament. In Ephesians, it says, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. We're not going to submit to anybody. I gave an example yesterday to the men I met with them. Having taken more than 32 groups to Israel or the Mediterranean, uh, when you take a group of Americans, many you know businessmen in the group who are used to you know controlling their daily everything, it's really hard to submit to a tour leader. It's really tough, and it takes about two or three days, and then the last part of it, they just really enjoy it. They don't have to worry about a thing; it's taken care of. In the kingdom of God, it's hard for us to submit. But if we're a healthy church and if we're growing spiritually, we can point to things in our life to say, you know, I didn't like it, I didn't want to do it, but I submitted to it. And they were told also to respect the leaders and patiently help the weak. And this was a text that I used in our Bible class this morning, 1 Thessalonians 5. We respect those who are over us in the Lord and who encourage us and admonish And then there's a text that is one that Paul, as he writes to a church in Ephesus, which is multi-ethnic like you are. They had Jews and Greeks and and, Gentiles in almost every church Paul writes. And here is one where he's, he's basically challenging them to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you. Notice where he starts. He starts as humble as you can get. I'm a prisoner in prison. That's not a place of position and honor. And it's because of the Lord. And he doesn't use apostolic authority. He's not demanding saying, because I'm an apostle over these churches now, and you know, most all apostles are died, but I'm the one doing all this mission work. I'm, I'm insisting you do this. That's not the attitude. He's just saying, look at me. I, look how, look where I am. I'm just pleading with you. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. To go along this track. Follow. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, bond of peace. You can only do that as a follower. Not demanding your way. Not always getting your way. But that doesn't mean we're jellyfish. Or doormat. It does mean we do everything we can, but there are points where we realize we give and take. There's points we yield, not for the sake of some other personality or whatever. It's just for the sake of the Lord, so that we all are brought together. And at the end of the day, whatever is done to honor God truly honors God. It's not because any one of us can take credit for it and put our name on it. But now I ask the question, why is it so difficult for us as Americans to be good followers? I was in Asia and Africa and the Middle East all last year for extended time. And that part of the world, they're better at following than we are in the West. And I begin to look, what is it that we deal with on a regular basis that makes it so hard for us collectively? This is not about any one person here. It's just... This is our culture. This is all of us. Why is it so hard to do that? One is, the number one value that's taught in the American home is independence. Here we go again. All right. Can you put that back 
where I was. Let's see. All right. Even my slides don't want to submit this morning. But the number one problem that we face, just go ahead and roll it forward till you get to why is it so difficult. You can just keep advancing it. Is in independence. When you do a study of the different cultures in the world, what are values they teach in home? In the U.S., it is independence. We teach our kids to be independent, to think for themselves. And so individualism fights against submission and following. No, we're going to go our own way and do it our own way. We're going to learn our own way. We're going to have our own experiences. Nobody is going to tell me what to do. And we see it in our teen years or young adult years. And then when we get wiser, we all will say, I wish I had listened to the wisdom of those who tried to tell me. And I wish I had followed the right, you know, the people who had told me. That. Then I would have saved myself an awful lot of grief. A second problem is consumerism. Now, this is one that happens all over the U.S., especially in cities like this. If you have looked around at different churches and you chose to come here, you're a consumer. If you are going to shop around for preachers and you select your preacher, you're a consumer. You're shopping for preachers like you shop for a car. Uh, you didn't think I was going there, did you? And here's where it hit me when I've helped churches go through this process. And it's like, what makes you think you know exactly what God wants you to have when we don't always know what we need? Look at any mission work anywhere in the world. Did they shop around and select their missionary? I mean, can you imagine if all my parents went to Jordan that we sent all the Jordanians three resumes of three missionaries and told them to pick which missionary they would like to come to Jordan? You follow where I'm going with that one? They just had to take what they get. You know, and some of these poor mission fields get some... It's tough. They don't always get our best. You know, Antioch sent out their best, Paul and Barnabas. We don't always do that. So often, we come to church with our own needs, and I understand that, and, and that's, that's important. But when we come to a worship service, if the worship service is all just about your needs, this is not worship. This is consumerism. This should be all about God. This is where we come and sacrifice for God, not are comfortable with God. This is where we come pay a homage and allegiance to God. This is where we remind ourselves there is one God and Father of us all, and He is the one we honor and glory. He is the focus of what we, not me. But we pick our worship services and worship styles that fit our interests and often divide churches over it. Not a matter of we're here to give, we're here to get. And so it's tough because we're, we're only that. It's Walmart. Well, Walmart did too. That's what Amazon Prime has done to us. That's what, just on and on and on. If everything in your week is that, it's hard to divorce yourself from it when you come and worship. Much less when you come and get engaged in the church because the church is pretty much like a family. This is where you come to give. But in the giving, you are richly blessed. Right? At home. In the giving, 
You are richly blessed. Individualism, consumerism, and the third one is just flat out sin. Flat out sin. What Korah did was flat out sin. Absolute rebellion. When it was very clear, without a doubt, what God wanted them to do and be. And they didn't want God's leader. They didn't want God's plan. They didn't want to follow God to the promised land. That's outright rebellion. We can struggle with all those. That's still not going in the right direction. Alright. Here we go. A little test. How good a follower are you? Do I respect well? Do I respond well to those who are in authority over me? A mature person can work in an organization and under authority. That's just a sign of our emotional maturity. I don't care who it is, Christian or non-Christian. They can work well in an organization and under authority. Not everybody can do that. Do I respect the spiritual gifts of others? Because when you exercise your spiritual gift, I view that as your spiritual authority working in my life. If you use your gift of worship leading, I submit to that. I don't go over here and start a different song because I don't like the song you're leading. Wouldn't that be strange? You know? If I have the gift of teaching, you submit to that and you listen and we study the Word together and I lead you in that. If someone has the gift of generosity and they're helping everything from a mission site or whatever, you join them in that and you submit when they say, we need to help with... Um, what's the name of the house where you help people here? Hillcrest? Christ, yeah. If someone has the gift and a passion for that, then you submit to them and help them in that ministry. Whatever it is, that's, the, that's how we submit. That's how we follow people who are leading. And when you use your gift, I want to follow. We need everybody's gift for them. Am I willing to submit to leaders? Can I give constructive criticism? Am I able... I need to back up. A lot of times we just wait and blow up. We do have aggressive... Uh, passive-aggressive people in churches. You know? They're quiet, 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 and then the bomb goes off. They're quiet, 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 and then the bomb goes It's like, why don't you just give us a little at a time? I can handle that better than the, you know, the bomb. So if, if we know how to follow well, we'll, you know, we'll give some feedback and leaders will take that into consideration and, and realize we don't always get what we want, but it's good to let leaders know what would be helpful. Can I give that constructive criticism? That's what good followers do. Am I able to work in an organization under authority? And can I delegate responsibilities as well as accept? I appreciate the elders' effort to try to delegate more to deacons. Are they going to accept them and also delegate? Because if they hold them, we're still not doing well. Everybody keeps delegating. Everybody keeps assuming responsibility. Everybody keeps sharing responsibilities. Uh, this is not our church. It's the Lord's church. Follow me. I'm really glad this is before the communion today. And I'm sure someone's prepared comments. So I don't want to preempt it, but I want to go into it as well, if I may. If you cannot think in the last ten years when you had a Gethsemane experience, I hope you have one soon. I hope you have one soon. Remember what happened in Gethsemane? Jesus knew how tough it was going to be to go to the cross. And in agony and pain, and sweating as it were drops of blood, He tells His Father, let this cup pass. Lord, can we skip this next day? 
do I have to do this? Even knowing there's going to be a resurrection. He said the body will die and be destroyed. The temple will be destroyed be built in three days. He knew I was going to. But he didn't want to go those three days. Who would want to? When you're in the flesh, who would want to be crucified and go through all that he was going to have to go through? To see what Mary, his mother, was going to have to go through. I would want to skip all that. But he said, not my will, but thine be done. If you can't point to a place the last ten years where you did something in your life and said, Lord, it's just not my will that yours be done. I don't like this, don't want it, but I'm going to do it because it's your will. Then I want to challenge you to be a better follower. Because that's what makes missionaries. That's what makes someone go from banking to preaching. That's what makes people marry Christians rather than non-Christians. That's what causes people to choose their vocations and how they serve God when they realize, I always dreamed of this, I want to do this, but I realize this is what the Lord's calling me to do. It doesn't have to just do with moral and immoral behavior. It has to do with what am I doing in my life that's going to sacrifice. I'm going to suffer for it, but I know there's a resurrection for you. I know something good. So when we break the bread and take the cup this morning, I really hope, I really hope you'll think back and if you can't go back to a time where you have had to just make a conscious choice to do the right thing and you didn't want to do it, then I really hope you'll have a Gethsemane this week. That God is going to make so clear to you, here's what He's wanting you to do and it's not something you really wanted. And you're going to hear that from people who love you and know you. You're going to hear it from circumstances. In your prayer life, There's a lot of that's going to come together to say, I guess it's clear to me here's what the Lord wants me to do. Or here's what He wants me to do in my life. Now, if you're not a Christian, that's, a, that's the first Gethsemane right there. Jesus is saying to you today, follow me and I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. He came that we might all be blessed. And if you want that blessing of salvation in Christ and a purpose to live and use your gifts to honor Him, be baptized into Christ or to be a part of this family. This church always welcomes you with open arms. And we're going to sing a song right now to invite you, to invite you to follow Jesus, be active in the body of Christ as we stand.